welcome to the Vive Mental Health Podcast. All right, welcome to the Vive Mental Health Podcast. My name is Christopher, and with me today is a dear friend of mine. Her name is B. Uh, she is an Edmonton-based prenatal nurse and co-founder of Labor Day Prenatals, um, someone who's been working in healthcare for many years now, and I wanted to have her on the show not only to talk about what it's been like to be working on the front lines during a pandemic and what the mental health of healthcare workers has been like, but also to hear what it's been like for expectant mothers during this time because families are still growing, babies still need to be delivered, and things have changed so much over the last 13, 14 months. So I thought this would be a great chance to hear about that as well. So B... Uh, before we dive in, I want to thank you for joining me today. And I also just want to ask, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, you can't say I've known you for, or been a nurse for many, many years. Cause that makes me sound really, really old. <laughs> I we don't are, mean to date we're, you. We're very young here. Remember that, right? Yes. We're so young. We're so young. <laughs> Neither of us is gray. There's no gray hairs at all whatsoever. Well, okay. No. Anybody who knows me know that's a lie. I'm, I'm very silver. <laughs> so B, why don't you just start off by telling us uh, kind of what you do, what your role is, and um, just give us the, the coals and oats on who B the nurse is. Yeah, uh, so I'm an RN and I graduated in 2009. I work in Edmonton at a hospital with parents and babies. Um, I went into nursing because I had a younger friend who accidentally got pregnant. And during her pregnancy, I literally woke up one morning and was like, I could work with babies. Who works with babies? And I was like, nurses work with babies. So I applied into the after degree program, got in and then graduated. So I've been in labor and delivery ever since. And then in 2018, myself and a business partner named Ashley started Labor Day Prenatals. So we teach prenatal classes, we offer postpartum support, we have a dietitian on board, we have a lactation consultant. Yeah, we're, we're trying to give women and families a well-rounded birthing experience. We felt that there was a need, it's like we would see these large groups coming through the hospital and not that they weren't good classes, but you always had these stragglers at the back that just seemed like they weren't really getting paid attention to. So we wanted to create a space for people to have more of a one-on-one -on -one experience. That's awesome. Um, I want to start off kind of broadly and then we'll move more into what you do specifically. So you work in public health, you're a registered nurse, you're on the front lines during a pandemic. So in your opinion and from what you see and experience, what is, what is the mental health state of healthcare workers right now? Um, I think... I don't know. There's good days and bad days. Some days you've kind of gotten numb to it all, I guess. And then other days it kind of punches you in the face and gets really real again. Um, one of the personal pet peeves is when people come in and they say they can't breathe after just a couple of hours of wearing their mask. But we have to wear our masks for 12 hours straight and wipe down everything in the lunchroom and we don't get to like see our friends or anything like that just like everyone else right and that's on a non-covid unit right so we're lucky that if someone comes in and they have covid or they're in isolation we only have to wear an n95 mask for a short amount of time whereas um like on the covid units in an icu and stuff they're wearing it for 12 to 16 hours a day they're wearing their n95s so we're lucky in that way 
Um, we've had lots of support, I guess, to kind of help keep our spirits up. So, um, for example, like I haven't tried to access resources from AHS, but I know that the union, so the nursing union, has created several online classes to help the nurses um, kind of decompress and teach them ways of coping. Um, personally, management has been amazing. When we were worried about um, PPE shortages or hand sanitizer shortages, like literally the second we brought it up, it was fixed the next day. And then anytime that we've needed to talk to them or, um, for example, there was one time I think it was in January that I went to my manager and I was like, I am not okay. Like I need a couple of days off. What can I do? And she like scheduled me a couple of days off so that I had, I think I ended up having four or five off in a row. And I was like, I just need some time to be at, at home and not have to deal with anything. So in that way, it's been amazing. Um, and then other people, for example, cause we work antepartum labor and delivery outpatients. So it's sort of like a pregnant people emerge um, and in the OR as well, as well as labor and delivery. So I myself have asked for about a year just to be in the OR, just so I could have structure in my life. <laughs> so it's not quite as hectic and chaotic on a daily basis. So I know some of the girls have asked to just be in one particular area just for their own sanity. <laughs> That's really great to hear that you've been supported, uh, you know, sort of from the top down, like you said, and the nurses union and your supervisors have the compassion and uh, a few things in place to really help you through this uh, and adapt to you know your personal needs as they arise. So my next question is like amongst your peers and your colleagues and fellow nurses, what are some of the ways that you support each other? I'll say this is kind of one of the weird things, but um, you know, when you're wearing a mask and you only get to see someone's eyes. So especially the people that we've known for a long time, you kind of know what they normally look like and you can tell right away when one of them is really struggling because they don't have that sparkle in their eyes, right? So there's been lots of times in the lunchroom where I'll be like, you don't look okay today. What's going on? And someone will burst into tears and tell you whatever story and whatever they're struggling with. And then you sit and you cry with them for a little bit. And then you try and like hash out how to make the next day or the next week a little bit easier for them. And yeah, so peer-wise, it's been a huge help. We check in on each other if there's any inkling that someone's struggling. Um, we let them know that they're not alone. And we're honest and candid that all of us are struggling, right? And then um, we try and give some advice. So some nurses have turned to their priests or ministers or mosques for help. Some had um, increased support from their family or friends. And a good number honestly just needed some medication to help with anxiety or depression this year. And, and we're not ashamed of it, right? It's just what we've had to do to get by and to stay strong for our patients. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and so great to hear. I, I imagine you become very close knit working in these settings and experiencing the things that you do on a daily basis. It's, uh, it's incredibly heartening to hear that you're checking in with each other and making sure everyone feels supported, you know, moment to moment, day by day. So um, B, you've, you've been an RN for a number of years now, obviously pre pandemic up until now. And I'm curious to know, how the mental health of healthcare workers has changed in the last 14 months compared to the years that you were nursing before. So like, I'm, I'm sure the pandemic has exasperated a lot of things, but I can appreciate that you had a lot of tough days on the job before any of this happened. So just looking back, are you, are you handling those stresses in a different way now? Have you 
notice that the highs and lows have been enhanced at all. I just, I kind of want to give you a chance to kind of reflect on things and hear your thoughts on what it was like before compared to now. Yeah. Um, I don't know, like that COVID fatigue is sure a thing. Like people are just numb to things I find, but, um, I can only speak to myself when I started in labor and delivery. So at first, like it's all new and fun and exciting and you get to learn a lot. And then you have some sad or traumatic cases and you have to learn how to compartmentalize. And you're really not supposed to talk about your patients outside of work. So you can't really go to your spouse or your partner and kind of tell them how your day really went. But sometimes you can give them like the super basics of what traumatized you that day, but they don't really understand, right? Like if you watched a mom almost die or doing CPR on a baby, like you personally can kind of imagine how you would react to see it. But when you've bonded with that patient for like eight or 12 hours and something awful happens, like you totally get traumatized. So initially, all we want at the end of the day is a healthy mom and a healthy baby, but it doesn't always happen, right? So all of this was stressful before COVID. So now it's just worse. (laughs) So now you're dealing with that, with PPE, not seeing people's faces and their smiles. We have patients coming in super sick, like the new variant kind of, it worries me personally. Yeah. And then, yeah, we're just constantly worried is what it feels like. From the second you walk into the hospital to when you go home, like you're hoping that you didn't come in contact with something that's going to get your family sick. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot to carry around. And I'm glad you uh, brought that up, uh, having to take some of that home with you because you've just been there for eight or 10 or 12 hours. Uh, a lot of it is is pretty heavy. And like you said, uh, traumatizing. But you you can't share too much with your partner or your family and friends because of, of confidentiality. So you really are left relying on your colleagues and the support through the union and through AHS uh, where you can sort of candidly let some of that out. Um, I think it's hard for many people to really grasp just how close some of these units get. And I know... I know you and Ashley work together. Uh, You have the prenatal business together, and I've spoken to Ashley as well. Uh, And you clearly have a deep bond and a special relationship. And like you said, uh, having that outlet and that support is so important to maintaining your mental health and the mental health of of your peers. And it's, it's crucial in being able to do your job day in and day out. So I... I really appreciate how candid you've been. It's, it's honestly, it's really humbling to hear, you know, your experiences and how they sit with you. Um, I want to ask you though, since you've got the platform, the spotlight is on you. Is there, is there anything you would want the public at large to know about the day-to-day life of healthcare workers and the magnitude of this pandemic? Because so so many of us have been cut off and compartmentalized. We're isolated at home, or we should be. Um, we're, we're at the mercy of social media feeds and news sources. And I think a lot of people are trapped in these echo chambers because they, they learn something and seek out the things that will validate that viewpoint. So I want to give you the chance to, to pass on what you feel people should know. Um, you have no skin in the game except this is your day-to-day life. So... What would you want people to hear from you, a healthcare worker? Mm, oh my goodness, all the things, of course. Um, number one, please get your vaccine. <laughs> That's going to be the, the the best first way that we're going to hopefully get out of this. Um, yeah, I don't know. People 
it's it's really strange because the government has made everyone be so separate and you have to isolate in your house and not really see your family and therefore people aren't seeing how sick some people are getting and sure it only has like a one to two percent death rate or whatever but i don't know the lifelong consequences that some people are getting from it is awful and and i mean like you're seeing it firsthand like even myself i'm at the i'm at the mercy of what the news and health officials are reporting and i i do have friends and family who are nurses and work in healthcare but not not everyone does or or knows those people but you you spoke about the seriousness of the new variants so what what have you seen like how is it impacting people it sounds like it's affecting younger people more and more the the icu demographic appears to be getting younger uh it seems quite serious and and not to be denied no, it is not to be denied. In the last few weeks, I think uh, every single case, like a positive case of COVID that we've had on my unit that I've been there for was um, one of the variants. And yeah, people are ending up in the ICU, young people. So how do you reconcile the seriousness of it all while like keeping your own sanity? Um, like even for myself, it's easy to be filled with doom and gloom um, because it is like a serious thing and we should be taking it seriously. But you also talked about, you know, um, a little bit of disassociation and, and stepping back a little bit and creating that, that barrier to keep things compartmentalized and a little more palatable to, to maintain. So how do you, how do you do that as a health professional? Are there things you do personally that help you keep your, uh, like your proverbial ship upright and, and sailing strong? Huh, okay. Um, so yes, lots of people have gone to those coloring books that you can do to kind of zone out. Some people, like I said, are doing like the workshops for mental health. Um, personally, I find a nice little 20 minute next Netflix show that when I come home, you know, get all the ick from the day off of me. And then I sit down with my iPad, watch my show zone out for a little bit before I can actually take a couple minutes and talk to my husband and be like, Hey, so how was your day? <laughs> like, I just need that little bit of time to like zoop, zone out, have a funny show. Yeah. I can't walk in the house and watch a show that's like overly serious initially. It has to be something that's goofy and quirky and I don't know, gives me that break. I don't know if that really answered your question or not, but I'm I'm not like a meditator or anything like that myself. It's it's just self-care. And I mean, like, I'm not either, to be fair. Uh, like, I've tried it and it was enjoyable. Uh, but personally, I have a hard time getting into that fully relaxed state. And I know I know it requires practice and training, but my brain is on fire all the time. It's just the way that I'm wired. But I mean... Self-care is self-care. And if you if you need that 20 minutes or so just to decompress, you know, like whatever that looks like, I think it's incredibly important. And I think a lot of us were raised to just plow through stress because the end game feels like it should be just to get through it. And if you stop at any point, uh, we kind of have this fear that we'll lose our momentum or whatever. So we come home, we make dinner, we clean, we play with the kids and it's just go, go, go. And then your head hits the pillow and you just completely crash and you haven't actually allowed yourself to properly unwind and release some of that stress from your days. So I can totally see the benefits of giving yourself a light breather when you come home after, after doing what you do all day. Um, just as an aside, uh, cause I'm always looking for recommendations. So what, what Netflix shows are you into? 
Oh, sure. Um, I'm almost done. I'm probably way behind everybody else, but uh, Parks and Rec. I'm such a fan. Parks and Rec. Yeah, I'm on season seven. I think it's the last season. So I'm really sad as to what I'm going to watch when that's done. But I was also going to say everyone needs to get a puppy. So a puppy at Christmas really helped me as well. <laughs> so just, it doesn't matter how bad my day is when I come home and she's like, ah, like goes crazy all over your legs. And you're like, okay, yeah, life is good. Yeah. So what, what's so, her name? So just, she's about like four poppy. months old now? Princess Poppy. She Well, she's six months now. Yeah. Like off the trolls, Princess Poppy. Yeah, I got a uh, a COVID cat, so I live in an apartment, <laughs> so I, can, I couldn't do a dog. Nope. But uh, the COVID cat has definitely helped my spirits as well. Okay, so I want to talk about what you do specifically because um, I have a couple friends who are expecting uh, mm -hmm. some of them, like a couple of them, like any day now. And mm -hmm. there's, I, I'm not a parent myself, so that I'm here to learn from you as well. But it's got to be different now for for a parent who's having their second or third child like during a pandemic so they've had this experience once you know in olden times in the good old days mm -hmm. how is it different now for them when they when they're expecting like pre throughout pregnancy and then childbirth and beyond what are some of the big differences that they can expect this this time around mm, the isolation and having to be more self-sufficient like there's been pros and cons, I think. So um, like for one example, like you don't have to have your house clean all the time and you're not getting unexpected guests, right? So you don't have that extra stress. No one really cares if you haven't vacuumed in two weeks because it's you and your partner and your kids, right? Um, you're not having to dress up and go to parties or events or Christmas things or whatever, right? So there's less external stress, I guess. So in a way, it's good to like stay home and just focus on healing and feeding your baby and becoming a family. But I imagine it's also much lonelier, um, especially if they already struggle with feeling secluded ahead of having the baby. Yeah, um, we are recommending an ideal situation if they're going to have a parent or whoever come in to help them, that those people should isolate for the two weeks before they come into the home to help them with the baby. So lots of um, new parents are doing that one. And again, the government's basically already pre-forced us to self-isolate. <laughs> so, yeah. But I don't know. They, it's just the, the loneliness. So I guess encouraging them to wrap their heads around it being a good thing, that you have literally nothing else to do but hang out with your baby, breastfeed your baby, and get to know their little personality right? You're safe in your house. It's you and your partner and or your other kids. So hang out and chill with your baby because you'll literally never get that time back again, right? Yeah, that's that's really important. So um, are there certain practices that you're seeing in prenatal care that, you know, have come as a result of the pandemic that you could see extending into the future, saying that we get vaccinated and we reach some sort of normalized equilibrium? Is there um, is there practices that you've kind of had to adapt to because of COVID that you're like, wow, this actually worked out really well, or this just makes sense moving forward? Uh, I honestly feel like the online classes are going to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Like we do have some in-home classes and when we do, like we still follow the, um, AHS guidelines, we wear PPE and we stay six feet away from them and we have to sanitize everything. So we do still have some people who want that, but the vast majority of our clients like the fact that they can be on their couch, turn on their computer. You have a quick little talk with them. They can still see the PowerPoint slides and everything. 
and they never have to drive anywhere. Like it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so that's I, awesome. I don't, I don't actually know if the really big group class thing will ever come back. Interesting. Yeah. I've, I've heard that a lot in different industries too. And I, it makes sense. I mean, it's so accessible. Um, it's, it's cheap, it's easy for everybody. So it, it, it kind of makes sense. And, uh, what, like what sort of things do you teach in regards to being mentally prepared? Like, uh, for a mother to be, how do they get mentally prepared? Let, let's say for a first time mother, mm-hmm. um, how do you get mentally prepared to bring, bring a life into, into the world? Okay. How do you prepare them? So one of the biggest things we tell them is that knowledge is power. So the more that they know, number one, the more that they realize they can ask questions, they should never be forced into anything. So we have, like we teach them, okay, it's B-R-A-I-N, so brain, and then I add T into there. So if we come at them with an intervention, whether it's forceps or C-section or whatever, right, or induction, what are the benefits of doing this intervention? What are the risks? Are there alternatives? So, um, so let's say it's a method of induction. So there's more than one way that we could start their labor, right? So they get to choose sometimes which way they want. Um, the I is what does their intuition say? So is it something that they're actually okay with? And then what happens if they do nothing at all? So the, what's the pros and cons of doing no intervention? And then the final T stands for what's my time frame on making a decision? So that's a big one that we um, not push at them, but... <laughs> that we uh, teach them. Because if you know that no matter what the healthcare system is trying to push on you, if you know that you will always have an option, you always can say no if you don't feel okay with something, then that in and of itself is empowering. And that kind of forces whoever is your nurse or your doctor or your care provider to do that extra teaching so that you understand why they're wanting to do something. Yeah, that makes sense. answer your question? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it, I mean, you're, well, you're facilitating a closer relationship with, with whoever's treating you. Right. So, yeah. um, yeah. cause there's, I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, if you're, if you've never done this before, you'll, you're going to have a lot of inhibitions and you're not sure when you can speak up or what you can speak up about. So yeah, that's excellent advice. Uh, it's really important to, for everybody be, to be comfortable, um, you know, going through the process, but um, when it comes to expectant mothers, uh, what are some of the things, like, what are some of the concerns that they like these questions that they have? Like, what, what are some of the things that you hear that are common questions or concerns or, or just things they want to get off their chest? Is there, is there anything that you hear often from expectant mothers? whole like epidural versus no epidural thing right because everyone there there is still a little bit of a stigma i think that um you know you're not really having labor unless you do all natural labor with nothing for pain and no medication and all of that stuff but so we're really trying to i don't know encourage people that no matter how you get your baby you still got a healthy baby and that at the end of the day if you've asked those questions and you've made the decision to get that healthy baby, right? Even if it was via C-section or whatever, that um, you still feel okay with it and that you are still a parent and a mom. Um, say your question again. I feel like I went off on a tangent. Oh, I, <laughs> your tangents are great. They're still informative. Um, no, just just common. I mean, that was a great uh, oh, yeah, example. Common like, questions. Right, right. Common questions, yeah. <laughs> um, I think biggest fears would be just fear of the actual birth. I I don't feel like most people are that, like they're a little nervous about contractions, but you know that there's like an epidural or whatever, if you really, really wanted it, 
that you didn't have to feel the pain, but the actual act of birth seems to be the most like traumatizing, pre-traumatizing thing for people. Yeah. Even though the actual act is like an hour out of the next 25 years of your life. <laughs> for like perspective is important. I yes. I'm I'm yes. laughing nervously, B. I, like I have no idea what any of this will ever be like. Um, but it's, I mean, I'm an empathetic person, so, um, but it's fascinating to me. I mean, it's just personally, my mom and I had this talk years ago, um, cause she used to tease me about how, how long she was in childbirth with me for, it was 14 hours or something awful. And, uh, so anyway, I've had to apologize that for many, many years, but even <laughs> though I, I didn't really have a choice, but I mean, mentally, I, I can't imagine. And I mean, you're, you're, this is your job. You see this every day, but the mental strength of a mother to me is just, it's so, mm -hmm. and we, we don't talk about it enough. And I, I really, I'm close with my mother and my grandmother, um, two very important women in my life who are just pillars of strength and compassion. And they, they talk about childbirth and like most mothers, like it was, you know, it's just what they did. Yeah. We brought you mm -hmm. into the world and, just the mental prowess of that is, is really humbling to me. Mm -hmm. um, is there, is there a story that you can think of names redacted or whatever? Is there, is there a mother in particular that you worked with um, who really inspired you, who really just kind of just, just one of those stories that stuck with you? Is there a situation that you can think of that really made you go like, wow. Uh, well, all of them. I, I've been in a few thousand deliveries, man. <laughs> We deliver a lot of babies at my hospital. Uh, yeah, almost every single pregnant woman at the very, very, very end at some point will say, I can't do this. And then you just say, but you are doing it. And then I usually pull out the, come on, you're a mama bear and push hard for your baby and you're almost done and you can do anything for two more minutes. And like from our perspective, just that last little couple of minutes of coaching and then they dig deep and then it's all done and then they have their baby. But yeah, almost every single one of them at some point is like, I can't, I don't want to do this anymore. I have no doubt about that. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay, I'll come at it from a, a male perspective. So you work with the fathers as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what is their role um, like throughout prenatal care and, and postpartum? And, mm -hmm. you know, like how are deliveries different now? Because I'm a, like, are, are, uh, fathers to be still allowed to be in the delivery mm -hmm. room yeah? yeah okay yeah so what what has changed as far as that process goes um for them or has it changed at all okay so in the hospital uh currently most of the hospitals and it comes and goes depending on how many visitors are allowed but i think everyone now just has the one visitor so just the partner or one support person okay which is different because before it used to be maybe the partner the mom the doula a sister like you could have i think three visitors before so now you're down to your one so from the healthcare people's perspective, we have to do a bit more coaching, I guess, for the support person sometimes on how to actually be her support person. From my prenatal class perspective, I tell the partners that she will never be as vulnerable as she is when she's having a baby. 
right? We wouldn't run through, I don't know, the Serengeti a thousand years ago or 2000 years ago with something chasing us. And then we squat down, have a baby, grab the baby and then keep running, right? Unless we feel safe, we're not going to have a baby. So um, I tell the partners that they're there to be her protector. So to have a discussion ahead of time, what do they feel comfortable with? What should their room ambiance be like? What should the music be like? Like what environment do they want to have their baby in? Um, yeah, so that when she gets there in labor, whether she's in pain or gets the epidural or whatever, then he can still be her protector and kind of guide the situation in a way that she would want. That makes perfect sense. That's great advice. Um, and that's a heck of a visual too about the Serengeti. <laughs> we're mammals man we're mammals right so we are we ain't nothing but mammals yeah our hormones need to tell us that it's a safe time to have a baby otherwise your labor won't come like it won't finish yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i think um yeah being that vulnerable i mean Mm -hmm. would take its toll but but if you have that support and you've been coached ahead of time Mm -hmm. um you know as the partner as the support then then you're set up for success right Mm -hmm. hopefully anyways um okay b i really want to thank you for uh joining me today uh this has been a cool conversation i've been smiling the whole time because <laughs> it's fascinating to me um i'll never experience the joys of childbirth myself but i can certainly appreciate how important your role is in uh in helping mothers feel comfortable and guiding them and coaching them and and teaching them and when you're in the thick of it um i mean you have to adapt and react so quickly um I really, I just want to thank you on behalf of every parent who's ever, you know, been in a hospital and had to go through what you go through every day. You've delivered thousands of babies um, and you say it like it's no big deal, but I mean, that's, it's a big deal every time. So I do want to just say one more thing though. So number one, thank you for having me on. I, I sincerely appreciate it. Um, but yes, with COVID, I think the biggest thing that's changed is how people have access to postpartum support. So postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. Um, If people have a concern, women have a concern, they are going to their doctors and it's actually harder to get them into the mental health clinics. Like a lot of them are being like refused access essentially. So um, Labor Day Prenatals, we currently have five nurses available to help with postpartum support. Each of us brings something different to the table. So if anyone is struggling, they can contact us and we can do our best to help get them in contact with someone who can do even more for them if needed. But I, I would say that would be the big, the biggest struggle right now is postpartum support. Yeah, no, I appreciate you bringing that up. I'll leave the link to Labor Day Prenatals um, in the description and uh, and people can check out what you do because you're uh, you're doing great things. So thank you for being so candid and uh, just kind of telling us what it's like on the front lines, you know, straight from the hip. And I think people, I think it's refreshing to hear it from the mouths of somebody who's who sees it every day. And it, it, it hits home more when you can just spout it off and you're not, it's not scripted or anything. You're just telling it how it is. So I really appreciate you, B. I also want to thank you, the listener, for joining us today on the podcast. It's been amazing to watch this podcast grow over the last few episodes and to see so many people listening and being a part of the mental health conversation. Uh, it's incredible. So if you enjoyed the show, I humbly ask that you subscribe and share these episodes. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you could leave a comment and a rating, that would be amazing. Uh, That helps me get more of this content out to you guys. So 
Vive Mental Health is my passion, and I really believe in making these conversations accessible to everyone. So if you'd like to support Vive, you can go to our Patreon at patreon.com slash health. There's all sorts of cool perks if you become a patron there, and as always, I love hearing from you. So if you have any suggestions for shows or feedback, or would just like to get in touch, email me at vivementalhealth at gmail.com. And as always, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Vive Mental Health. So take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.